0: Heen not to hear that, hey, look at that. Good, morning. good morning it's so good to see you here this morning We have a wonderful day because it's nice and warm in here, a little bit chilly outside, but if you'll stand and sing with us, we're going to go ahead and worship our God this morning. Wait for him. Ooh,
1: ooh, I can see the clouds rolling. See on the road. I stand all over the ground in sinking sand, so stomp your feet and clap your hands, our feet are on the rock. On Christ is all the rock, I stand all over the ground is sinking sand. So stomp your feet and clap your hands, our feet are on the rock. On Christ's solid rock, I stand all over the ground and sinking sand. So Stomp your feet and clap your hands, so our feet, feet are on the rock. When I feel my hold about your brain.
2: Timothy 225 says, instructing his opponents with gentleness, perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, and it's good to see everyone here this morning. Father, we're here to lift up Jesus together, and we're here to be encouraged and strengthened, and Father, I pray that we can do those things together this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning good to see everybody today i think some people are on vacation today apparently but you know what (laughs) we're all together we're going to worship the lord together this morning uh as before as we continue our service make sure you fill out your connection card if you're a first time guest and if you'll use the guest connection uh spot you will get two messages from us one of them will be the connection card about four hours later so you'll get a four question survey and we won't use that you're texting to send you a bunch of messages so anyway we you can trust us with that Well, for those of you who are joining us online, we ask that you fill the same thing out. You got your number across the bottom of the screen. At this time, I'm going to turn things back to the praise team as we continue singing songs to the Lord this morning.
1: all the world revolved around the sun, got on high, stepped down God You and I you made to worship, you and I are called to love, you and I are forgiven and free. You and I embrace surrender, you and I should do. Psalm 136 verse 1 tells us, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody Here we go. Sing a little
0: gonna hear my praises roll. Up on
1: the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeat. great to know we don't have to rely on our own strength. John 5:30 tells us, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Those are Jesus' words, but we need to keep those in mind ourselves, don't we? Mm-hmm. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are
2: When you hear the word sin, what comes to your mind? Do you think it's some outdated, antiquated concept that we really don't need to pay attention to anymore? Or does it mean that when you hear that word, you think, well, if it's fun, I can't do it because God doesn't want me having any fun. Um, Do you see the word as restricting your freedom? You know, I'm free to do whatever I want. There's a lot of people in prison that thought that too, by the way. Sin is, is sin something that we even need to think about anymore, that we need to take seriously? I mean, it's 2023. Haven't we outgrown that old antiquated concept? I mean, that was back in the day. Today, you know, we're we're more sophisticated, so do we need to even think about this? And do we think that we can ignore what God says concerning sin? Because my situation is so unique that even though God said not to do something, If I do it, God will understand, and he'll just make an exception for me. Is that how we treat it? Um, Sin, is sin such an outdated concept that I don't even have to take it seriously myself? Well, the most important question concerning this, this is why we're talking about Jesus on sin, is regardless of what I think about it, whether I think it's restricting, whether I think it takes away all my fun, whether I think that it's an antiquated concept, what does God think about it? what is God's view? What is Jesus' view on sin? Is sin just something that God blows off like it's no big deal? Or does he see it differently than we do? Today, we're going to be continuing the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going to talk specifically about the subject of adultery. Now, what we're going to do with this subject is we're going to, we're not going to hit that part very hard, because um, what we're going to do with it is we're going to see how this is a basically an example of how jesus views sin now we'll talk about the subject at hand but the most important part i want us to grasp is this is just a representation of how god sees sin in general because when you think about it in god's eye sin is sin i mean we think certain sins are worse than others and in some sense they kind of are in the sense that there's more repercussions for instance if i go out and kill 50 people or if i tell a lie to somebody the consequences are a little bit different. Now, Some, in some cases, that lie can kill more than 50 people. We see that with governments, but we won't go there today. But anyway, uh, I shouldn't have said that. They're listening, to. Uh, I shouldn't have said that either. <laughs> and I love the IRS, by the way, just for anybody that works there. But the fact is, um, <laughs> when 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 we start looking at these things, um, in God's eyes, sin is sin. So it doesn't really matter which one it is. That's why we can use this one as a representation of all that we deal with. Now in the Old Testament, what it, when it uses the word adultery, and this is the context that Jesus is talking about, this involves intimate relations, I'll be a little gentle with that, with the young ears in the audience, um, between a married man or an unmarried man and a woman who is married or she is a virgin who is engaged to somebody else. And the primary concern from this command was that against adultery was that it was violating or defiling another person's wife. And so that was the, one of the big issues. And of course, when you look at the 10 commandments, it talks about not coveting and all these things that kind of almost falls under that realm. Uh, if, if in the Old Testament context, if you were to commit adultery, you're actually taking, and I don't mean to make ladies property, but you're taking somebody else's possession, if you will. And in the Old Testament, and of course, in those societies, ladies, unfortunately, they looked at you guys as possessions more so than anything. I crack up when people say, Christianity is so restrictive to women. No, it freed ladies, by the way, if you know your history. But anyway, and the bad thing about this sin in the Old Testament is not only did you defraud somebody and you take what wasn't yours, it was punishable by death. Man, if that were the case today, there wouldn't be very many people alive, would there? It'd be really rough. But both the adulterous man and the adulterous woman were punishment by death was what was prescribed in in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. Just as an example, it says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress should be put to death. Now, I want to share this so that we can understand the context from which Jesus is speaking. However, as I said in today's message, we're going to dig a little deeper than just the act that he talks about. We're going to see how God views sin in general. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, when we read it today through our eyes, I hate to say it, but sometimes I don't think we think it's that big of a deal. I mean, it's got a lot of good sayings, and even people who don't believe anything in Scripture belongs there, they'll say that Sermon on the Mount does because, oh, I like what it says. But what we find is that when Jesus started preaching this message, the people that were listening to him were on the edge of their seats, figuratively, because what they were hearing was revolutionary. It was so different. They'd never heard this stuff before. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to take his followers and those who are going to follow him and say, look, the expectation of following me is much higher than what the law required. The law was kind of an external control. And Jesus says, we're going to shift your control mechanism from external to something within inside of you. So what Jesus is doing is is he's explaining to his followers that they have to take responsibility for managing their sinful habits rather than relying on other elders or other religious leaders within their community to monitor them on their behalf. The religious leaders, they thought it was their job to monitor everybody. Oh, you're sinning, and you see this with Jesus. What's it, What are your followers doing eating on the Sabbath? And, and every time Jesus, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? See, they were being those external monitors saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You're being a bad boy. You better knock it off. And when you look at it, the old system had external controls. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, among many other things. Don't covet. A lot of don'ts. And when you start looking at our society today, it's kind of scary, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to externally control that which must be controlled internally. We're trying to make more and more laws to restrain what can't be restrained. I've said this before, every time there's gun violence, which is horrible, the first thing that everybody, oh, we got to have more laws. Well, how many laws did the dude who shot somebody break? And do you think one more is going to stop him? You know, I mean, it's like at my house, if, you're, if somebody's going to rob my house and, they're, and somebody's pilfering our neighborhood and I put a sign, no robbery zone. Then, you know, the thief's go. oh man, I can't go get his stuff. I know he's got stuff in there I want. I can't get it because there's a sign. See, external controls don't restrain evil. And what ends up happening in a society is when there is no moral compass, you need more and more and more external controls. And this is what Jesus is trying to get his followers to see. Jesus, I got a new standard for you. And it's going to be much better. Much more difficult, but much better. The big idea to the message, very simple. Jesus teaches us to protect ourselves against sin. So we're going to be in Matthew 27, verses uh excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30 this morning. We'll begin with verses 27 and 28. It says this. You have heard, it, you, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So as we look at this issue of sin, Jesus, the first thing that we see in this passage is what we have to do is we're called to guard our thoughts. Now, Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uses this phrase, you've heard it said. And what he's doing, he's referencing Old Testament teaching. You've heard it said, or in some versions say, the ancients said. And so what he's going to do now is he's tying back what he's teaching to Old Testament law. But what Jesus is going to do, he says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. In other words, he says, here's how it used to be, but here's how it's going to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. And to be honest with you, it was supposed to be this way all along, but it just wasn't. And this was a very revolutionary thought for his readers because when one is externally controlled, like the law of Moses, life was pretty straightforward. You either obey or you don't. You're either guilty or you're innocent. The external system is a pass-fail system. For instance, for those of you sometime in your educational background, did you ever have a test that was a pass-fail? It was a pass-fail. It doesn't matter. You either passed it or you failed it. No excuses. It's done. My driver's test was that way. Uh, you know, and it was really embarrassing when my mom had to drive me around on my first date. You know, I, th- I was all thinking, hey, I'm gonna take my date in my big car and everything." And it's like, okay, "Okay, mom, can you take us to the theater now?" You know, it was really a bummer. But that, that driver's test—you either passed it or you failed it. It didn't matter. And I could say, "Well, this is why I failed. This is why this ha-. doesn't matter. You pass or fail. It didn't matter why you failed. You failed, and you couldn't explain it away." because explanations, excuses, they didn't matter. See, when you're externally controlled, you don't have to worry about your thoughts. You're either going to obey or disobey. For instance, the speed limit down Fry, was it 65 or 70? I can't remember. But, But whatever it is, there's a speed limit sign. And I'm either going to obey it or not obey it. There's not a sort of obey you go an ounce over the prescribed 70, or 35, I think it is, uh, 35 mile an hour speed limit, you're guilty of breaking the speed limit. So if I get pulled over, and the officer says, you know how fast you're going? Yes, yeah, I can't lie. I can give him, well, you know, you don't understand officer, I'm going to go donate my kidney and my heart to somebody so that they can live, I gotta get there really quick. And he's writing the ticket, and he's just like, yeah, right. Well, you don't understand. My grandmother died three times today. You know, no, it's not. You know, he's going to write the ticket. You're either guilty or you're innocent. Now, I may drive the speed limit down Fry Boulevard, and I might be madder than a hornet. I might be throwing things out the window because I'm so mad because it's so cotton-picking slow. I got to get to the donut shop in a hurry, and this is taking forever because it's cleared out the other end of the, of, the, of, the, of the Fry, man. It takes a long time. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I think about it as long as I don't disobey the law. It's pass or fail. Well, you can obey and have a terrible attitude about it as long as you obey. When you're raising your children, how many times were your children, oh, thank you for giving me that boundary. I am so happy I can't go out and have fun with my friends while they're out getting drunk and having to do crack. I'm just, I'm just. thank you, you know, this is the thing. No, your kid's madder than a horner, but you know what? They're either going to obey you or they're not. They might be grumpy about it. They might pout about it. But they're either going to obey or they're not going to obey. And sometimes you just don't really care as long as they do it. But regarding adultery, according to the old law, as long as you didn't do the act, you could lust all day long. It didn't matter. You could think whatever you wanted to think because the Ten Commandments didn't deal with your thoughts. They just said, don't do that don't do that i could covet all your possessions i could be lusting for your possessions i could covet your position i could covet your power matter of fact that's one of the problems in our society today people want everything for nothing they don't want to work for it so i want what you have and if you can't have it i'm going to make sure the government takes it from you so you don't have it either that's that is that is sinful folks that is wrong but you see in the old system it doesn't matter as long as I didn't cross that line, I was okay. How would your spouse feel if you came home and said, "I didn't commit any adultery today, honey, but man, I was thinking about you. You see, this hot chick I was thinking about today, man, she was a smoke show." And 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 then just tell her everything I was thinking. I don't know. I'm probably going to end up on the couch or in the ER. You know, there's going to be a problem there. Um, So we understand instinctively that even though technically the old law says don't do this and everything else is pretty much okay, I don't think we'd accept that from a spouse, would we? I I know I would be a little unhappy if my wife's telling me about all the hot dudes, and I'm like, well, yeah, what am I, you know? Well, never mind, I'm getting old. (laughs) Anyway, Um, some people, though, feel great comfort in a system like this. You know why? Because it's black and white. You obey or you disobey. And some people like that because you really don't have to think about it. Here's a, for instance, in public and many private schools, they have a dress code, although the dress codes, I'm not sure who came up with them. I think some pervert did on some points. But anyway, um, when you see what goes in the schools, you wonder, is there really a dress code? But when there's no uniform, you pretty much wear what you want. And if a teacher, an administrator comes by and says, Johnny or Janie, what you're wearing there is not appropriate. And then what used to happen is if that would have happened when I was a kid, back in the days when I, you know, had to walk 20 miles uphill in 50 degrees, you know, 800 degree temperatures in three feet of snow with stone tablets, you know the story. Anyway, my parents would have tanned my high. There would have been no, well, we're going to go straighten that school up and tell them all how it's going to be. Oh, no, no. Even if I was wrong, I was dead meat when I got home. But what happens now is little Janie or little Johnny goes, they didn't, like my, they didn't like my outfit that had nasty words on it or that covers a quarter of my body. And mom said, well, we're going to go to the school and fight about that. And so you end up having these arguments because there's really no standard. Now, schools that have uniforms, that says this is exactly what you'll wear. You are going to wear it or you're not. Police officers, you know, you don't see them wearing all kinds of different uniforms. They got a uniform. When you go... Um, Military, You know, the guys in the Army and the Air Force and all, and, and all the, they don't just show up on what they want to wear. It's like, here's what you're wearing. And so you don't have to think about it. Uh, contemporary Christian artist, he died quite a few years ago, Rich Mullins, they said that all he had was like five pair of jeans and five white shirts. That's all he wore, which is a cool outfit. I like white, je- I like white, uh, white shirt and jeans. But anyway, you don't have to think about it. But see, when you, when, you, when you don't have a direct standard of pass or fail, there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of gray. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to shift them from relying on somebody saying, you can't do that, you can't do that, or God saying, you can't do that, to having an internal control mechanism, to where what's inside of them drives them. Concerning adultery, not doing the act is not the standard, but even thinking about it is wrong. Even thinking about it is the standard. Think about this for a moment. Will you do that act if you're not thinking about it? If you're not desiring somebody else, will you commit adultery? The answer that's no. But if you're thinking about them all the time, and that's all you can get in your mind out of your, you know, in your mind, that's all you can think about is that other person. And think about them, think about them, think about them. And your four spouses over there, are like, why are you so inattentive? Well, because you're thinking about somebody else all the time. As soon as that opportunity arises, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to happen. Well I used to travel on business. I've said this before. They say, hey, what happens here in Cincinnati stays in Cincinnati? Or what happens here in Cedar Rapids stays And I said, you know what? I'm staying in the hotel room. I'm not going to have to defend somebody doing what they shouldn't be doing. But I treated it like, you know what? I, I don't care if, no, if my wife would never find out. I don't care. You know who knows? God. God would know what I'm doing. And I would know what I'm doing. So if you don't want to commit a particular sin, guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. <laughs> Jesus says, if you look at her with lust or look at him with lust, you've already committed the sin. Now, some people say, well, if I've already committed it, I might as well do it. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Another way to translate this passage is if somebody looks at somebody so that they may lust at them or to stimulate their internal desire, you, you've crossed the line. Now, notice this isn't talking about noticing somebody. You can't help but walk before your eyes. And honestly, you know, God made you ladies really pretty because we wanted the, species, he wanted the species to keep going, and if we weren't attracted to ladies, we wouldn't have any kids. And if men were going to have kids, we wouldn't have any kids either. But anyway, <laughs> although I guess today you can do that, I don't know if that's a thing or not, but anyway, it's kind of strange. But the fact of the matter is, if somebody who's really attractive walks by, that's okay. You can appreciate what God did for them. But the problem is, is when it goes, hey, she's really pretty to oh, yeah. And In the meantime, your wife's kind of looking at you like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not. But anyway. You've crossed the line. You can appreciate, but you don't have to, they always said you, what, a bird can land in your hair, but you don't let them build a nest. I think that's how that went. That's the old school saying. But anyway, when you start playing it out in your mind, you have violated what Jesus wants you not to do. He says, hey, I don't want you even thinking about it. Well, I never did it. Yeah, but you're thinking about it. That's the problem. Lust is an overmastering desire for something that's not ours. Jesus says that if we allow ourselves to be driven by our overmastering desire, we have crossed the line whether we actually did the act or not. So if we want to defeat sin, if you want to confront sin, you have to guard your thoughts. The mind is where the battle takes place. When somebody becomes a Christian, a lot of times it's easy to clean up a lot of things, like clean up your language and clean up other things that people can see. The the tough part is up here. You'll always have this battle in the mind. James talks about this when he says, but each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. And when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when a sinful is full grown, it gives birth to death. When we let our desires go unchecked, it will destroy us. Many marriages on this subject have been destroyed because somebody just left their desires unchecked and they ended up doing what they need, should not have done in the first place. Now, okay, we need to guard our minds. How do we do that? Well, Psalms 119.11 for one says, In my heart I store up your words so that I might not sin against you. And so the point is, most people don't have an empty thought bubble Some people do, but we're always thinking. We always have stuff going on in our head. The question is, what is it? And what are we feeding it? So what the psalmist is saying is, you know how I'm not going to sin against you? I'm going to store your word in my heart. So when those thoughts that come in that shouldn't be there, God's word will say, "Ah, ah, you need to think about this. No, this isn't what you want to do. No, nope, this, this is the direction you want to go. God's word can actually protect you. This is why it's important that you incorporate it in your life. It's like going on a trip, and you've got a vehicle that gets like 20 miles a gallon, and you've got a 600-mile trip, okay? But you're decided, I'm going to drive that vehicle, and I'm not going to put fuel in it. And you're going to get to a certain point. That, well, if you do the math, if you've got a 10-gallon tank, let's say you're going to go 200 miles, and you're going to start running out of gas. Well, once you run out of fuel, you're stuck. Well, in your own life, if you've only got like 10 gallons of God's word in your life and you're going to go on a 400-mile trip, see the problem is, you're going to surpass that and you don't have enough in the tank to protect yourself. So we need God's word in our life. The other thing that we do is as we have that according to 2 Corinthians 10:5, is it talks about that we're going to take every arrogant obstacle that's raised up against the knowledge of God, and here's the key, we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. And so what we do is we start taking those thoughts to God. So if I have something, whether it's good, bad, or ugly coming into my mind, I need to be disciplined to take it to God, and obviously some things would be very embarrassing to take to God, and then I realize, you know, that shouldn't be in my head. That thought needs to be thrown into the garbage can or in the shredder. And so that's a couple things that we can do. We have to take our thoughts to Jesus. The standard that Jesus set for us is not easy because we are facing a steady stream of immorality in every form of media, from books to magazines to TV shows and commercials even for paper towels, for heaven's sakes. I mean, this stuff is flowing rapidly. And I'm not against entertainment and all that stuff, but we're getting hit in every direction. Music, movies. You know, back in the day, if you want to watch some good movies, folks, go watch some of the old black and whites. And people say, those are corny. No, they actually aren't. They all have a great... We used to watch them all the time until you've watched them all, pretty much. But the great thing is, you know, no matter how much... See, today what we do is we tug on people's heartstrings in a movie, and then the immorality's okay. <laughs> but in the old movies, no matter what, if you did something wrong, there's a price to pay. They, no matter what you did, even if your spouse was doing all kinds of terrible stuff to you, and you cheat on them, in today's movie, oh, yeah, we're glad he, you know... But in the old ones no matter what, there was always a price to pay. They were trying to teach a lesson, and the media did a good job back then, but we have all this stuff hitting us. These streams are constantly calling us to look, 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 want, 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 think, think, you know, we have to be careful with that. Philippians, because our minds are always processing things, tells us this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so what you essentially do, those thoughts you shouldn't have, you replace them with better thoughts. You put your focus where it should be. And it, it really does wonders in your life when you're able to do that. Let's flip to verse 29. Now, this gets rather draconian here. If your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. So not only are we to guard our thoughts, but here's what we're also called to do. We've got to guard our eyes. The eyes have been called the windows to the soul. And the thing is, whatever comes to the eyes, sometimes it's permanently burned into our memory. There are things that I saw when I was an early teen that I should have never seen that are still in my head. They're just burned there. The phrase causes to sin means causes you to fall. The word in this context is used of a stick that has bait on it that when you grab the stick to get the bait, you're trapped or it's a stumbling block. And so what, you know, when I, when I go fishing back home, because there's no fish in this state, when I go fishing back home and catch real fish, big bass and crappie and everything, I use certain baits because I'm trying to get that fish to say, man, that looks good. That looks really good. Whoop or out turkey hunting, we'd set up our decoys and we'd want that male turkey. And, hey, there's some girls out here. And then you get yourself a male turkey. I'm to the point in life now where I probably wouldn't hunt anymore. I just don't have it in me, but I'd st- I still love to fish. But this is speaking of when you, when you see that trap and you go for it and you have to guard your eyes. Anything that morally or spiritually traps you, we have to make sure that we don't allow to come into our lives. We have to avoid it. Jesus tells us that if our eyes cause us a sin, he specifically mentions the right eye because that was the one that was considered of predominant importance, particularly in battle, although I'm left-handed, so I'm not sure how that would work, but um, it was the one that was considered serviceable. So he's saying your most important eye, if it's causing you to sin, if you're seeing stuff and it's putting thoughts in your head, you're better off to pluck it out now. Don't go home and pull your eye out and say, well, Jeff said that's what the pastor said. He's using hyperbole, okay? Okay. And he's using extreme hyperbole to get us to to make a point. The point is to Jesus, sin is so abhorrent, abhorrent that he's like, you know what, you're better off losing part of your body than you are letting your whole self go to hell because you allowed your desires to go unchecked. And he uses that deliberate exaggeration. So what this tells us is, what does Jesus think about sin? That's no big deal. I don't know, when you start talking about telling people to pluck their eye out and cut their hand off, that's pretty serious, even though he's using hyperbole, okay? So please don't do those things. We see this progression with King David. King David. Now, David, at this time in his life, he was getting kind of lazy. He's having chest and drawers disease where his chest is dropping down to his drawers. He's getting a little older, not taking care of himself. His guys are out in the battle. David's at home. And so one day, this is what happens. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his house, of his palace, excuse me from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, okay, so far, that's not necessarily a problem, he, you know, he's up there, he shouldn't have been there, but let's say it's not the problem, he's up there, and he sees somebody, okay, it's not a problem yet, but now, you know, he's looking harder, why, he notices that this woman's very attractive, now, if she wasn't, I guess he wouldn't have been looking so hard, but anyway, so David, now, here, it's getting worse, David sent someone to inquire, about the woman. The messenger said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, David, it's getting worse. He sent some of his messengers to get her. She came to him and went to bed with her. And then she returned home. And then Mori Povich shows up at David's house and says, you're the man. You're the father. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, "Uh, I'm pregnant. Surprise. So David, he's wandering up on his roof, which is very common, the way the palaces and the houses are built, walking around minding his own business. He looks over and sees this chick taking a bath, and he's like, and you know what? He could have said, oh, somebody's saying, oh, she's pretty. Okay, I need to get away from this, but he didn't. He's looking more intently. She's hot. (laughs) Yeah, and he could have even stopped there and said, okay, God, yeah, I shouldn't be thinking that. She is pretty, and God, it's your fault for making her pretty, so I can't help it. You know, he, he, he could have done that, but he didn't. He says, you know what? I'm going to find out who this girl is. She's a smoke show. So he inquires, hey, it's Bathsheba. And he could have said, okay, it's Bathsheba. Okay, I, I need to stop this. But instead, he's like, hey, bring her here. And even at that point, he said, you know what? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Hey, Bathsheba, I'm, I'm King David. You're really a smoke show. You're pretty. You need to go home. But no, he doesn't. And he gets her pregnant. And you can see that progression. At any point, he could have stopped it. If he would have just guarded his eyes. No sin, no problem. He's not at fault for seeing her, but he's at fault for everything else past that. Job got it right in Job 31:1. Job was a very righteous man, and he said this: I made a covenant with my eyes how then can I entertain thoughts against a virgin? And so what he's saying here is he's saying, God, I know I shouldn't be, this is Old Testament even, I know I shouldn't be looking at women like this, so I'm going to make a covenant not to do that. And that's how he protected himself. Huh. Jesus tells us to remove things that trap us. And so when we're in those situations, you walk away. I used to get, when I worked in the factory, I used to get asked, we used to have a lot of pretty college interns that, I don't know who hired them, but somebody was hiring them for more than just their intelligence, because they were all pretty, and the guys, of course, they'd walk by, and they're making their comments, and, and I'm just looking, I said, dude, you're married, oh, you mean if they came to you, you wouldn't, if they propositioned you, I said, nope, I'm married, well, what if they didn't have anything, I said, okay, I've probably noticed that they're naked, okay, I'll be honest, but I'm going to turn away really quick, because I'm married. And they oh, you wouldn't do that. I'm like, yeah, I would. Wouldn't you? And they looked at me like I was from Mars or something. See, flee temptation. Flee sin. Guard your eyes. Jesus takes sin so seriously that he says, hey, if that eye's causing you to stumble, get rid of it. Let's look at verse 30. We'll finish up with this thought. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. So what this is a reference to, thirdly, is guarding your actions. Now, the final area, we have to guard those actions because we gotta deal with the thought, we gotta deal with the eyes, but then we gotta make sure that we follow through. Now, the good news is if you're doing the other two, the actions take care of themselves because you're not put in that position where you gotta think, should I do this or should I not do it? Because you're not even there. You're not even there. Jesus is using the same hyperbole, talking about the right hand. It was considered the most dominant. And he's speaking here of actually doing what God said not to do in the Old Testament, actually doing the act. The good news, though, is, as I said, if you're doing the other two things, the third thing is pretty easy. There was a movie, uh, and I I should have looked it up between circles because I lost the name. It was, remember the guy that got his arm trapped and had to cut his arm off? That was, uh, I know the actor. What's that? Yes. Yes. It was about Aaron Ralston. And Aaron went out hiking. In, the, in Utah's Blue John Canyon, and he apparently didn't let people know where he was going, which is a mistake, and I don't know why, you know what, why are these people getting lost anyway? Take a sat phone, but anyway, this is me, or a locator or something, but anyway, he accidentally loosened eight, an 800-pound rock in a narrow area, and he got his arm and his hand in his forearm pinned. Well, he's pinned. He can't move. He's main, He was there with little food or little water for five days until he finally decided, I need... To take the option of last resort, he had a pocket knife, if the movie was accurate. It was James Franco. There we go. See, the mind comes back. It's just slower than it used to be. And so he proceeded to cut his arm off. Would you want to do that? But see, he was either going to die pinned up against that wall or he was going to have to take his arm off. Now, the point I want to make here, and now they said this guy, he was an experienced backcountryman. He had, he, and that experience built his confidence. He kind of knew how to handle himself. But unfortunately, he didn't know how to tell people where he was. But anyway, he cut that arm off, and it saved his life. Jesus is saying, if this is causing you to sin, don't literally cut it off. But sin is so abhorrent that you need to get rid of it. uh, Ralston had the decision whether to die with his arm or live without it. And one of the things we have to make sure of is in our life, we got to make a decision. Are we going to die with something or live without it? And when, you know, my hope is that we make bad, don't make bad choices so we don't have to figuratively cut off our arms. But Jesus takes sin so seriously, and he wants us to do the same. Don't get caught in the trap of trying to rationalize, well, I know God says it's wrong, but you know what? It's going to be okay because he'll understand my situation. Jesus tells us to guard ourselves, to keep ourselves from being entrapped by that sin. Jesus, our application point is very simple. We need to guard ourselves so that we don't get entrapped and end up losing our salvation, end up forfeiting our walk with God for the sake of other things. We're all going to sin, we're going to struggle, but the difference is we're called to repentance and we can do that. But Paul says, hey, should I sin more so I get more for grace? He says, no, you're missing the point. But thank God for his grace because we can recover. But don't, if you find yourself constantly, constantly lusting and constantly, whether it's other after other people or other stuff, get your your act together and start putting your focus where it needs to go. Because even though you're not doing the act, God knows what you're thinking. And for your own health, and for your own spiritual health please make sure that you do what you need to do to protect yourself and to guard yourself and realize that i've always said this about marriage the things i do i don't do because i'm married i do because i love my wife and the things i don't do is not because i'm married it's because i love my wife the things in life that you don't do you shouldn't do because you love god the things that you do you should do because you love god it's the same thing so this morning we're going to have an invitation song And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. You know, back when during creation, God knew that we were going to separate ourselves from Him. He knew what Adam and Eve were going to do, but yet He still created us. And I don't know about you, but if you were going to, if somebody told you and they knew and you knew for sure they were right to say, "Hey, if you two have a child, that child is going to be Adolf Hitler and is going to kill millions of people," I'm using extreme. Would you have that child? Most of us, if we knew for sure that this is what's going to happen, we probably wouldn't. But see, God knew that Adolf Hitler was going to come as a human, but yet he still made us. We're that valuable to him. He wants us to be redeemed so we can be with him. So I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what your past is. You can have a clean slate with Christ. I don't care what guilt is holding you back. I don't care what weights you're carrying around, what baggage you're carrying around. You come to Christ, you can drop it off at the baptistry because it's all washed away. So this morning, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to make that decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. If you're struggling and you just need some prayer, maybe some encouragement, come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. But at this time, let's stand and sing our song of decision together.
1: See, on the hill of Calvary My Savior bled for me My Jesus set me free that give me life grace flowing from his side no greater sacrifice what he's done what he's done all the glory and the honor to the son my sins are forgiven my future is heaven i I praise god for what he's done
0: sing for the freedom he has won even death
1: My future is heaven, I praise God for what he's done. Now, on the throne of majesty, the Father
2: This time of communion reminds us of what he's done. That, bl- that cup represents the blood that he shed for your sins and for my sins. That bread represents his body that, that took the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. Jesus says, I'm going to take it on. And so what has he done? He has given us the opportunity for eternal life. He's given us the opportunity to just to have a wonderful, wonderful future and a wonderful present through him. And so as we take our communion this morning, it's all about what he's done. It says to do this in remembrance of me. So as you take your communion, communion this morning, remember what he's done for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to come together this morning. And Father, I pray that as we take our communion, it's we remember what he's done, what your son has done, what you've done for us through him, that we can have eternal life, that we can have our sins, our, our, our sins forgiven and that we can have a new lease on life. Lord, we're thankful that that eternal life isn't just in eternity, but it's here and now. And Father, I just pray that we appreciate that because of what he's done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. on the inside of your bulletin we have many announcements and we'll show a a video clip here in just a moment but first i want to remind you that we have jerry has all of his youth activities today we have um, roger's group is meeting young at heart is meeting at noon on monday not 10 a.m jules is having her lol group so for the young ladies they'll be there we have all of our bible studies this week security team meets and in a moment uh, robin and jules will talk about lady spa Uh, We have our ministry team sign-up sheets. So if you would like to be involved in the ministries of the church, we have sign-up sheets out in the foyer. If you're currently doing a ministry and you want to continue doing it, you don't need to sign up again. If you don't want to do that ministry, you can put your name on that one and say, hey, I need a break or mark that you don't need to be doing that one right now. And if you want to sign up for other ministry teams, you need to sign up for those. Um, At this time, let me think here, something else. Yeah, at this time, go ahead and we'll show our video clip. We've got this event coming up April 28th and 29th. I'm afraid we're gonna have a generation of people who at the end of their
0: lives look back at a fork in the road where they headed toward isolation and a loss of hope. The last two generations of our family, there've been 25 marriages, 22 divorces. And what does it do to children when they see the image of that being
3: ripped apart?
0: What the cross promises of marriage is fresh starts and new beginnings. We have an opportunity as a congregation and the people of God to do something really great for our community, and the art of marriage is it. I was with Family Life for nine years, and I actually had the privilege of being part of the launch of this event. Um, I have seen it done all over the United States, and people's marriages and lives have been changed. It's a great opportunity, and I'm excited that we're going to do it here at this church. In the back, we have a few uh, things. In your bulletin, you have this, which basically outlines a little bit about what the art of marriage is about. There's a little thing on the bottom called a QR code. For those of you who are in my generation, we didn't use these things. But younger people do use this thing. If you use that QR code, that will take you directly to the site to register for the event. And then we also have these save the date cards. I would encourage you to grab a couple. I'm sure that you have friends and neighbors. That are married that might be interested in coming to the event. The best way to get people to an event is to invite them yourselves. I think that it would be absolutely fantastic to see 100, 150 couples in this church during the event. It, miracles will happen, and it's just an exciting event. So I'm encouraging you all to be part of it. We've got a, a couple of computers, hopefully both working, uh, in the back where you can sign up today if you want. I'll be back there, I'll answer any questions, and I just look forward to seeing you all participate in the Art of Marriage.
2: Yeah, we have a couple kiosks set up with an uh, iPad and a computer. Uh, registration's $45. That includes all your materials, we'll have a great lunch from Slotsky's coming that Saturday, and we'll have uh, <coughs> donuts on Saturday morning. Uh, we do have limited childcare, so please look at the registration for that. Once you register, it is non-refundable, so make sure you're going to come. We had to do it that way to keep from buying a bunch of material and people not showing up. But it's going to take place on Friday, the 28th of April from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And on Saturday from 8.30 a.m., we'll gather and we'll be done at 3.30, so it won't take up your whole evening on Saturday. And this will be for people who, you know, who have good marriages, who have rough marriages and everything in between it'll be a blessing to all and I would think if you're considering marriage and you're you're uh, engaged that it would be a good good opportunity to learn some things that might be preemptive before you get married but uh, you can go to our website and you can see we got a page on there and you can see more information about that but we're excited um, I made my wife sign up with me to go so we're, we're gonna be going <laughs> also at this time um, one of the ladies has something to say about spam I mean spa
3: he keeps on hoping it's spam, but <laughs> it's just your opportunity, Rusty, to create spam. <clears throat> Where's the men's group? Okay, well, it's just saying. Next week, <laughs> it'll be a secret. <laughs> the 25th? All right, all right. <laughs> um it is just an absolute honor to be—I um, just want to share with you, it's an absolute honor to to be a part of SPA. Robin and I have been praying this—well, sh- we've been praying for a while, but we've been really praying about SPA, and it has been a true blessing to see all that come in attendance. It's a array of women that come to these events, and I would love to tell you that it's Robin and I, but it is it is not— God shows up every single time, and it is beautiful, and it is lovely and entertaining and calming. It is, it is God. In the in the house, and we are so absolutely honored and uh, privileged that we get to have the this this coming event this Saturday, the twenty fifth at ten o'clock at Lori's house. She's opening her home to us, and. Um, I just want to put this out there. Uh, Robin and I will be handing out these flyers. (coughs) Uh, We'll be out there. You want one, and you want to invite somebody. Let's just say that your next-door neighbor just needs to know another good-hearted woman. Invite her and bring her, because the rest will be up to God. Um, I just ask that you bring yourself, and, and if there is somebody that's on your heart, I ask you that you invite them, so get two of these. That's okay, too. <laughs> but it is absolutely a pleasure to be a part of spa and to watch what happens in spa events. And this is just another one that is about honor. And I know that that's something that we, ne- we all need about reminding. Um, so when we put these out, it's not, it's not for my benefit. It's not for Robin's benefit. And it's honestly not even for yours. It is for your relationship and your respect, and your honor with God. So I would absolutely encourage you, if you have questions, or if there is something that, that we can pray about to let you know you are welcomed, please let us know, because we would absolutely love to have you. If it's not this one, maybe you can just pray about this one. That's okay, and I'm going to keep on inviting you. We're going to keep on inviting you, because we just want to keep on seeing you there. So. Please let me know if you have any questions, or Robin, know if you have any questions. And uh, I really, really hope that we will see you there this Saturday without the guys um, at Lori's house. Thank you so much, Lori, for letting us come to your house. And um, I really hope that you guys will come, you ladies, not guys. You ladies <laughs> will come. And, she, she keeps uh, rubbing it in, doesn't I she? she. <laughs> 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 and at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're doing it mi- uh, morning. So that we don't break up your day, so there's really no excuse for you not to come. <laughs> so I hope to see you. Thank
2: you. Hmm. hmm. Okay. No, you ladies should go. They have a they have a good time together. They grow together, and it's a great opportunity to get to know some of the folks. Uh, one other thing, back on to the um, art of marriage. Uh, through our kiosk, you can pay through credit card or PayPal. That's how we're set up. So that way it keeps your giving account separate from the funds for this because technically you can't write that off. So, all right, I think that's all the announcements in your bulletin. You see we have a lot of prayers. We ask that you take note of those prayers, look at the praises, pray for our outreaches, our missions, and uh, you can take that off and I think you can put it on your fridge at home or wherever you spend a lot of time. So at this point, let's stand together. Let's have a word of closing prayer, and our band will lead us out with a song. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessings we have, and Lord, we have so many people in our prayer concerns that we've been lifting up to you. We pray that they each receive a blessing from you. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we leave challenged and encouraged, and I pray, Lord, that we can just have a a wonderful week serving you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.